0: This episode of Authentic South begins over 200 years ago. In the late 1700s, there was a famous French general named Lafayette. He was a champion of the American cause during our revolution, and he actually fought under George Washington. He became a national hero here, and after the war, he traveled around our country and was showered with praise. Streets were named in his honor, monuments that still stand in town squares were erected to him. Cities were named after him, including, interestingly, Fayetteville, North Carolina. This guy was a big deal. And during one of his trips in 1825, Lafayette visited James and Dolly Madison at their home Montpelier in Virginia. And the French general wrote that one of the most interesting sights he witnessed in America was the log cabin there of a woman named Granny Millie. She was a slave who was 104 years old at the time and she lived with her daughter and granddaughter. And we know that when Lafayette met her, she showed him her only treasure, an old worn copy of the ancient book, Telemachus. For years at historic plantation sites across the South, the focus was on the big house and not on the slave cabins, such as Granny Millie's. But as contributor Kelly Libby tells us, cabins like that are being resurrected on the grounds of Montpelier.
1: When you visit Montpelier, it's easy to imagine the white-columned estate home as a party space. And in fact, it was. Dolly Madison held her famous Fourth of July barbecues on the back lawn of the mansion. For the many renowned guests who traveled, sometimes across the ocean, to be entertained by James and Dolly Madison, there would be the smell of pigs roasting, and the sound of chattering guests and wine being poured and fiddle tunes being played. It's easy to imagine all that, because today, the house where the Madisons lived looks a lot like it did in the 1820s. It's harder to imagine what life was like for the enslaved people who lived and worked on Madison's plantation. That's because the structures in which their lives played out no longer exist. But that's changing. I'm watching the hewing of a log by an instructor at Montpelier's first-ever log cabin building workshop on the mansion's grounds, which today are covered in a thick blanket of snow. (laughs) (laughs) Joseph McGill has a particularly good reason for wanting to learn this technique. McGill is the founder of something called the Slave Dwelling Project. And what he does is he travels the country, spending the night in slave cabins, dirt floor and all, He's on a mission to save the slave cabins that do exist. So he says it's useful to know how to build one.
2: Because as we speak, there are a lot of those uh, dwellings out there, those cabins out there on the verge of collapse. So my organization, I'm trying to get those places in a place where we're comfortable with at least stabilizing them and using those to inspire others to, you know, do the right thing by those structures.
1: So far, he's spent the night in 51 dwellings in 12 states sometimes inviting other people to join him. And now building a cabin takes his work to a new level.
2: I thought this project was a good opportunity to find out exactly how these structures were made, Uh, thinking beyond just who lived in them, but the labor it took to actually build them. Except
1: for a few chainsaws, these folks are mostly using antique hand tools. Martin Ag is one of the guys who's helping to show how they're used. Could I interview you when you get a second? Interview me, all right. What's your name? My name's Martin. And what do you do?
3: So we salvage a lot of old antique material, whether it be logs or timber frame houses or old flooring. And we also, well, in this case right here, we're producing a a mock Antique log house out of new material. Uh, once it starts coming together, there is a lot of satisfaction to it. You know, when you work hard on on getting a joint cut right and then it's it slides right in place. It's a pretty good feeling.
1: So are you a history person? No, right.
3: ma'am. No, ma'am. <laughs> you not interested? No. In oh, I'm, I'm not that I'm not interested. I'm just not that. Uh, you know, I'm not history oriented. I haven't had a lot of a lot of history classes or anything.
1: But this isn't really a class for scholars. In fact, some folks signed up for the workshop after seeing an ad in a log home magazine. The history lesson here is not so much from books, but in the craft. Well, we made a mistake, first of all, today. That's our log that we ruined over there, so we had to start over. That's Carol Richardson. She's a restoration specialist at another presidential home, Thomas Jefferson's Monticello, which is just down the road in Charlottesville. So now we're going to take these dogs off here and flip them over, use a chainsaw on the back side of it, and then um, chip those off again. So here's a list of the hand tools they're using. Draw knives, broad axes... Double-bit axes, single-bit axes, adzes, mallets and fros, log dogs, timber carriers, and slicks. And there's this tool, which Kristen Benson has taken a liking to. One of, one of the axes over there is actually made in and Sweden. And I was asking him about it. They called it the sweet axe. Apparently, it, it's, it's easier for people to use who are left-handed because they only had right-handed axes and I'm left-handed. And I, I was a... For this job, Benson is using a draw knife to shave the bark off a log. But this requires both hands, so it doesn't really matter. Of course, the challenge when reconstructing a cabin from the ground up is figuring out what it should look like. That's where archaeology comes in. On a break from cabin building, we take a walk with Matthew Reeves, Montpelier's director of archaeology. Reeves takes us to the exact spot where he believes Granny Millie lived and where Lafayette met her and her daughter and granddaughter.
0: And in this case, the hearth is right where you're standing right there, Eric. You're standing right above the, the other hearth right here. And this is where. They found
1: the two hearths that were 20 feet apart, which gave them the length of the house. Eight feet from one of the hearths was a stone that told them there was a corner there. So they determined that with another 8 feet on the other side of the hearth, the width of the house was 16 feet.
0: So this 16 by 20 measurement is something that reoccurs in a lot of these 18th century buildings.
1: And those are just the major structural clues. They also found window glass and ceramics, and a pit beside the hearth that would have held sweet potatoes. Put these clues together with documentary evidence, and Granny Millie's cabin begins to take shape.
2: Put it on the I that. Near the end of the week,
1: the group is making progress on the cabin. They've started the process of chinking. I check in with McGill of the Slave Dwelling Project, and he tells me he appreciates that Montpelier is not shying away from the subject of slavery.
2: It is changing. We're getting better. We're we're dealing with the subject matter in in a better way, and that's a good thing. Um, There are still those who would much rather not get out of their comfort zone and deal with this subject matter. We need to work with them. We need to bring them along, let them know that dealing with the subject matter is a good thing.
1: For those people who might feel uncomfortable or shy because they feel like it's bringing something alive that was horrible, what would you say in response to that?
2: I would say it's history. It may be that their ancestors were involved in one way or the other, either enslaving or or being enslaved, but it needs to be out there. We have been, as Americans, uh, avoiding that subject for too long. And because we've avoided that subject for too long, we've concentrated on the the nice house on the hill, the mansions, the big house, Um, and that's okay. But we need to be equally as concerned with telling the rest of the story.
1: When it's finished, the cabin will be moved to its original spot. And McGill and the others who helped build it are making plans to return in the fall to spend the night in it. For Authentic South, I'm Kelly Libby.
0: Kelly Libby is an associate producer for a program called With Good Reason, which is produced by the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities. That's where this story first aired. For more information on the Slave Dwelling Project, visit SlaveDwellingProject.org. As always, the Authentic South theme music is by Chris Hoke and Brett Estep. And to see pictures of the cabins and to hear other episodes of the show, click on over to AuthenticSouth.com. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and SoundCloud. We are part of the Public Radio Exchange. That's at prx.org. And we've got our own page at wfae.org. Until we go south again, thanks for listening.